This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones. That guy likes the sound of his own name, doesn't he? Broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas. This past year has been quite the challenge, right? For all of us, but challenging times reveal great people. And today, I am going to be interviewing, you know her as Nurse Erin, the courageous nurse that last April went undercover, well, she was working in, at El- Elmhurst Hospital in New York as a traveling nurse, and she revealed to the world that they were actually killing people. And you know what? Her videos are still up. Can you believe that? I found some of her videos on YouTube. They're so compelling. You cannot discredit them. So shocking still. Um, and you need, they'll be in the show notes. I'm going to put them in the show notes. But why am I interviewing Nurse Erin today? Well, she went to Hawaii to partake in a reopen Hawaii event. And while she was there, a, a veteran, a woman with her two children was body slammed. She was wearing a mask. She was body slammed, choked, and the HPD officer, we're going to get her name. She had red hair and a bun. I want to do a whole show on her. While she was choking, the veteran said, let me guess, you can't breathe. Oh, that's a funny one. Wow. Yeah, HPD, good on her, huh? She needs to be fired and charged with excessive use of force, and she needs to lose her job. Anyway, well, Nurse Erin witnessed that, and so I wanted to get her perspective on Hawaii. Before we did that, we talked in depth on her. You know, she's a veteran. She worked with special operations as a nurse in Iraq. So with all of this experience, when she heard of the COVID crisis, she thought, even though I have three sons, I have the type of experience that is needed right now. I will leave my family in sunny Florida, go to the heart of the quote-unquote epidemic where 3 million people are going to die. Remember, they're building, um, they're digging, prisoners are digging mass graves. Uh, we were told 3 million people were going to die. We said furnaces were running night and day in China, incinerating corpses. Remember that? So she said, this is going to be horrible. I'm going there. And then what she discovered was shocking that instead of people dying, uh, people, instead of medical professionals trying to save patients with COVID, they were actually killing people many times who didn't even have COVID. It's shocking. So we talked to her about her journey. We talked to her about what she experienced in Hawaii. And um, what a hero. She also has a book. You need to go in the show notes and order her book. I ordered the Kindle and the Audible. I'm going to go onto our website so I can get an autographed copy. Um, so here we go. My interview with Nurse Erin. But before we hear from her, this episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the vulnerable, from the child in the womb to the child in Darfur. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor, and you get a free copy of my book, The Race to Save Our Century. Also, Movie to Movement, our new movie, Divided Hearts of America. You can download it wherever you watch movies, Redbox, Amazon. It is there. And do you know, do I sound refreshed? Do I sound like I had a good night's sleep? You know I had a good night's sleep because I've been sleeping with my pillow. I went to uh, Dallas this week to give a speech. By the way, while I'm speaking to 5,000 people in Dallas, 500 people, sorry, 500 people in Dallas, 
shaking hands, signing autographs, giving away books and Jason Jones show hats and T-shirts. Uh, driving, you know, driving home from Dallas to the Hill Country, and I see a state alive and vibrant. Meanwhile, in my home state of Texas, I mean, my home state of Hawaii, uh, locals are being brutalized by HPD. But I digress. But oh, I didn't have my pillow. I was, I was going to bring my pillow with me on the road. I have to get a travel pillow. But I've been home for two days now. I've been sleeping great. I never slept better. My pillow, you know it. It's the best pillow. And by the way, Mike Lindell is standing with us against cancel culture. Cancel culture is trying to cancel him. Every time I put my head on, the, on my, my pillow, I'm like, yeah, cancel culture. You don't sleep this good, do you? I bet you those guys trying to cancel Mike Lindell. I bet you they even have my pillow. Right now, Mike is offering a buy one, get one on his Giza sheets. They're made with the world's best cotton called Giza, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. You can't go there unless you get a shot passport, wear a mask on a long flight, or you can bring that cotton right to you. And it's a long staple cotton. It's ultra soft and breathable. It's sateen weave, gives it a luxurious finish. Available in multiple color styles and sizes. Machine washable and durable. That's why it has a 10-year warranty. It has Mike's 60-day money-back guarantee. Mike always tells us the first night you sleep on my sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. And that is true. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square. Use the code Jones. Use the code Jones so you can get those deep, deep discounts. And this show gets the credit. All right, guys? My pillow products also, including the Giza Dream Sheets, can also be purchased at the 800 number. You call 800-876-0708. 800-876-0708. And again, use the code Jones. All right. My interview Nurse Aaron. Aloha, Nurse Aaron. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. You just came back from Hawaii. You can give me an aloha back. Oh, I can't believe I just did that. Aloha. There we go. There we go. You know, this show... Used to be the largest show in the world from the west side of Oahu, but now we are in the hill country of Texas. You were Nurse Erin, the legend. First of all, before we talk about the shocking events that are still happening in Hawaii, and of all things, the legend Nurse Erin was there to witness. And I want to talk to you about what you saw in Hawaii. But before we do that, I just first of all want to say thank you. You know, this 2020 was one of the most challenging years in the history of this beautiful republic of ours. And a few heroes arose to the occasion, and you were a great hero. And I just want to thank you for the courage that you have, that you displayed uh, in the midst of a crisis. You had no time to think or to plan or to assess. You just said, I'm going to do the right thing, uh, whatever the cost. And you inspired a lot of people, a lot of medical professionals. And uh, so just thank you very much for what you did. Well, thank you. And, you know, I always kind of, I, I don't like that hero status. Cause, you know, they, they they called all the front lines and everyone like heroes. But ultimately, like, I, I just did my job, you know? Like, that's what I, you know, signed up to do. So I signed up to, to help people. And um, and so that's, I, I tried to do it. 
Um, but they weren't doing that, you know, so I appreciate it. Um, I love, I love that, you know, people are thankful, but I just, that hero is not, was not my intention. No, I know. No, look, it wasn't your intention. And a lot of the gaslighting nonsense from the mainstream media about who's heroes and Mm -hmm. who isn't heroes. But, but what you did, and I don't think you're a hero for doing your job, right? I was a soldier. You were a soldier. I used to get offended uh, until my son joined the military. I used to get offended when people thanked me for serving. And I'd say, everyone should serve. I just did my job. But I think mm-hmm. what really the greatness you displayed, and, and I appreciate your humility, was that when others in positions of power were trying to prevent you from doing your job, making it difficult for you to do your job, and the media was gaslighting the world, and, and you did your job still. And that's, to me, where the heroism came in, that you did your job under an, an incredibly adverse situation where others yeah. waffled. And it was something that was amazing. And maybe we can, maybe not everyone knows, but they'll remember. You know, I, we, I watched your video with my wife. My wife just began to cry. She remembered everything. She's like, oh, yeah, I remember the hotel she was in. And I forget the hotel. My wife's a New Yorker. She's like, she was in this hotel. Marriott Mar- yeah, she was like, I thought it was a strange place for a traveling nurse to be staying at such a nice hotel at Marriott Marquis. <laughs> and um, and uh, I said, well, they're probably just putting them wherever they could put them. But it was, you know, my wife just broke down crying the first time we watched that. And uh, because it's sad that you, you know, but in that, that video, what really was amazing with your undercover video is when you said, I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to resuscitate people that, do, that don't have do not resuscitate on their charts. Many other nurses fouled you, right? They said, I'm with you. I saw others say mm-hmm. yes. But if you didn't say that, they would have just been, as you called a lot of them, order followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Isn't that strange? Yeah. Um, the, the ones that, are D, that want to be a DNR. So I'll just kind of maybe explain. Yeah, let's, let's share, so, share everyone about this sort of how you erupted onto the scene in the midst of the COVID crisis. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm from Florida. Um, and my hospital, I was working in the emergency room. I was actually out in the tent um, here in Florida. You know, and we were waiting for the wave <laughs> that never ended up really ever coming, ever, actually. You know, the COVID wave. Remember when everyone was millions, locked down? Millions of people were going to die. Yes, millions. That two but to prevent that, millions of people from dying, we need to do the hard thing and shut down for 14 days. Yes. So that 14-day shutdown turned into a 28-day shutdown. Turned into, you know, they just kept pushing it. And all, all the time, like, we're kind of looking at New York, like, what is really going on over there? You know, like they're getting hit really hard. So it was very, I mean, I was scared. There was a moment when I'm like, is this for real? What is going on? Um, They put us into like tiers based on experience in our hospital. So I was on a tier one. Like I I was in the military. I was over in Iraq. I worked in, you know, in trauma type situations. I worked in hospitals over there. So I'm very well trained. Um, so they had me on tier one and furloughed a lot of other nurses. So like this is in Florida. So people were really hunting and searching for hours. 
so a travel nursing position kind of came about and I asked them like listen like you know would you guys mind if I went and worked in New York and that way you can give other nurses hours and I don't mind doing it and they were kind of shocked at first like are you sure like everyone was very scared to do that I'm like yeah we, yeah, that's what, that's what we do, right? Um, I've been to war. How, how much worse could it possibly be? So they gave me the, their blessing, and I was on a plane in two days. Um, I have three kids, kissed them goodbye, and landed in New York. And when I did that, I sat around for like three days. <laughs> so... I got to the four star hotel. Can I go back? Kids. Can I go back to kissing your kids goodbye as a as a veteran myself? And so, yeah. did you have a sense? Because early on, right, we all didn't know what to make of all that. We didn't know what to make of this. I personally was skeptical from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, but even yeah. I, when I was exposed to COVID in February, chose to quarantine myself till I can get a test, so I, my elderly mother in law wouldn't be exposed. So, um, did you have that sense of a deployment? Did you have a sense of like, I'm, I may never see my children again? Was it a, was there a fear or, or was it just like, I'm a nurse, we'll, that we'll use proper protections and precautions, I'll be okay and I'll be back? What was that like? Um, the thought was there. It was very much like a deployment. Like, uh, yeah, the thought was there. I'm like, you know, this, this could be something, it could not, I don't know. But yeah, the thought was there that I may not come back. So it was a similar sure. feeling to a, to, to a deployment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't have, I didn't have children at the time when I deployed, but I saw it. You know, it was like my friends and my family, and that same feeling. It was the same feeling being on an airplane going into a war war zone, right? So yeah. like, it was just like that. You know, you're you're heading into an, the unknown, and not many people will do that in general. Um, but then you have the rebels like you and I that are, <laughs> you know, like let's go. We don't want but, to either, but it's it's like we don't have a choice. You're just pushed. Yeah, well, I, mean, compelled. It, we're, we're, I, I feel that we're called to do what, what mm-hmm. we do. Um, I don't exactly know why we're the chosen ones, but we are, <laughs> you know. Um, and that's what people don't understand, right? Uh, yeah. Because I'm, I'm sure you have been, you know, why did you, why did you have to be the one to do this? Well, why did you have to be the one to choose to go to New York? Why did you have to be the choose the one to go to Iraq? And, right. and it's almost as if you feel you don't have a choice. You know, you, you knew that there were people who had families to support that were furloughed. You had experience in combat. You were a nurse. There was a need. And so you felt there was no choice. You were compelled to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was that same sort of, it's not a choice. You knew, you knew when you made those undercover videos at Elmhurst hospital, that was the end of your medical career, but you didn't care. You, you felt it was the same thing that compelled you to go to New York, that compelled you to go to Iraq, that compelled you to be a nurse, is compelled you to tell the truth about what's happening in the hospital, whatever that thing is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, yeah. you, so you're go, you feel like you're going on a deployment and then off you are. Uh, and now you're in New York and you're sitting in a hotel room for three days. Yeah, well, it was like kind of weird because, I mean, you know what it's like going into a war zone, like, and that's what the media was calling it, right? Front lines, it's war, it's war zone. Our heroes are risking their lives. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So I get off the plane and it's just like nothing. 
um, took a taxi with another nurse that I was on the team with from Florida to Times Square, where our hotel was, is Marriott Marquis. So I get there and I start talking to other nurses, and like those nurses, remind this is like the height of the pandemic. This is like early April. Like this is when like the news is like these bodies are you know filling up um, the prisoners are digging graves. Stuff. Prisoners are digging mass graves in Central Park. They have the flag, the the red light on top of the building in New York City, like yeah. the bat lights. You know the distress. Everything, everyone's dying. It's crazy. So I'm like, what is these? Some of the nurses there were sitting around for like 18 days, 20 days, and like ready to go to work, ready to go to work. And they're just like hanging out at a four star hotel in Times Square, shopping. They were buying refrigerators, order eat or over eat, like some sort of vacation. And we're getting paid like $10,000 a week. So I'm like, that was like my very first red flag. I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Cause if, if this is like war, you go to work, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where, what is going on? Why would all these people be sitting around if there's this mass casualty happening in these hospitals? So like that never made sense to me. Didn't really think made much about it. That maybe they're just really unorganized, which they were, but that's, that's not why these nurses were sitting around. Um, they were sitting around because it made sense for the travel agency, which was Crucial Staffing, who is also super corrupt, really, really corrupt agency. It's Crucial with a K. Um, slowly brought in nurses 400 at a time to, to continue this, I guess, show for a need of nurses. Does that make sense? So... The more nurses they brought in, the longer they could be receiving the FEMA money, the, the longer it can look like there was like this like major pandemic going on. Yeah, I mean, it's horrifying. So there, I mean, I don't know if you saw the video that I shot in late February, early March, where I was outside a COVID testing site that was really, I, I yeah. exposed as just a movie set. Uh-huh. And and at the time I was I was being sincere. I was sincere. I just made a video saying, well, "What's going on here? I don't understand. Why are they on the news? You know, faking that there are mile long lines when I'm here and there are no lines. And when you look at the video closely, you can see in the reflection in the the glass of the medical center, there are no cars in the parking lot. It was just a movie set. And then the woman came out and hit me. And then of course the next day after my story broke, they stopped doing COVID testing. And people at the time were saying, well, it was just a money grab. Isn't it hard to believe that people in the midst of what we all believed could be possibly a horrible pandemic with millions of people dying are trying to just, you know, get their hands on as much cash as possible? It's, it's impossible. It's, it's normal human beings can't believe that that's really happening. And I'm sure people listening are thinking that really wasn't happening. But that's exactly what no. happened. That is exactly what happened. And, and, and I, and I proved it, um, with video. And the reason that I did have to do video is because nobody would believe it because they don't, they still don't believe it even with video, you know, because like it's, it's really hard for anybody to wrap their head around the fact that like some human beings are okay with the murder of other human beings for money, for money, for money. It's, it's insane. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's something that I, I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime, especially in the United States of America, a country that is supposed to be one of the best countries in the world. And it turns out maybe we're not, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we're, we, we could be doing better and we can't, you know? And so I guess, um, to just kind of continue with the, my story, after three days, I did get assigned to Elmhurst, which was like the epicenter of the epicenter that was like all over the news. <clears throat> Cuomo was begging for like all those ventilators back in early March, which was for Elmhurst. Um, that's another kind of a red flag, the fact that a governor with no medical background decides early March that we need 30,000 ventilators. And um, he, he failed to um, have anyone or hire anyone to actually run those ventilators, which is like common sense. Um, for anyone that doesn't know about that, like a doctor, usually an ICU doctor, like a respiratory therapist messes with the vent settings. It's a very co complex thing to run. One wrong move, and you can kill a pe person like almost immediately on a ventilator. Um, so there was no one to run them. Very few people. I mean, there was dentists and ophthalmologists and like student doctors pretty much running the show in these hospitals. So it was not uncommon for them to blow out a patient's lungs by accident and then just claim that it was a COVID death. And everyone admits that now, right? So everyone admits that the ventilators was a horrible mistake. Yeah. I actually knew that going in because I watched um, Dr. Cameron Kyle Siddell, who was a, an ICU doctor, it was ICU or ER doctor. Um, very early March, he came out and said, listen, ventilators are the wrong treatment. He actually quit because he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, he he tried to speak out and obviously was gas, gaslighted just like any other medical professional that has. So like early March, when I went there, I knew that was the wrong treatment. We were not doing this in Florida. We were treating our patients with the hydroxychloroquine and zinc protocol right out of the emergency room, sending them home and having them quarantined. We had zero deaths. Um, you know, totally different story when I got to New York for multiple reasons. But um, the ventilators, we knew early, early on that they killed 100% of the, the, the patients, at least by the time I got to, to Elmhurst Hospital. Can we go Problem. back to Cuomo? Why did Cuomo, I mean, obviously he didn't even know what a ventilator was. It was, you know, somebody told him. Right. And if I'm to guess, it was, this is something we can throw onto the federal government, an albatross around Trump's neck, and we can place blame. Well, yeah. He, was, he, what were you, what, why, why were the ventilators the obsession? Um, why would well, you guess? I think somebody knew that that was the wrong treatment that it would increase the death count and this sounds so sinister to say but if i knew and i'm just like a little old nurse here in florida that ventilators were killing people in early march and i listened to other doctors like dr cameron kyle Siddell, who came out with a video saying they were the wrong treatment and then you have cuomo ordering thirty thousand of them um you know what makes it even more sinister yeah. i'm sorry to interrupt you nurse aaron yeah now it all makes sense when he said, hey, all you rich, affluent hospitals in places like Westchester County, we're coming for your ventilators and bringing them to the inner city where they're working class and black and Latinos. Now it all makes sense. 
It was okay. really, if if they knew these ventilators were killing everyone, it's like let's get those ventilators. You know, we don't want to we don't want to kill our our people. We don't want to accidentally kill you know our friends, our frat brothers. Let's send all those ventilators to to inside you know to the boroughs. Yeah, well, you're right, and that's exactly who they targeted. And I that's unbelievable. It's really it, either it was an it was a grand accident that you know happened to benefit the folks in Westchester County. Or, uh, and my wife's from Westchester County, nothing against you folks in Westchester County, but, you know, Cuomo did say, I'm coming for your ventilators, and I'm bringing them to Queens and Brooklyn and Bronx, because that's where the need is, and what, what need? To blow the lungs out well, of everybody? That's, that's the populations that they were targeting there. So they targeted the black and brown people, also low-income populations, so minorities. Like, we're, that's why I was like, we, we actually even tried to contact, like, BLM and, like, all these, like, activist groups, and everyone ignored us. So, it was like, if you didn't have a good nurse at that time, you were definitely, like, if you walked into the emergency room and you didn't have a good nurse or doctor, like, with you at, like, 24-7, you were definitely going to that freezer truck. 100%. If you were a low-income minority, for sure. Like, like that, those were all the people that I served. You didn't you didn't go over like Manhattan where those hospitals were like closed. You know? It, it was these it was a New York City health and hospital system who mainly served low income populations and minorities that were targeted. Now were there I mean that's were there nurses I mean a lot of those nurses were from those communities that you were with that were they whispering to you like this is horrible. They're killing us. Um yeah. Or were they so just swept the, away by the gaslighting Olympics, you know, that they were so great and they were the heroes and they didn't, didn't have well, the courage to stand up against that. Yeah. Mm. It was mostly travel nurses in there, but the nurses that actually like, you know, were like staff nurses that worked at Elmhurst, they knew what was going on and they knew what was wrong, but they're unionized. So like if they said anything, they'll lose all their benefits in their job that they work years for. So the union there is very 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 corrupt and it pretty much you know throws a gag order on them and strong strong holds them so they can't say anything even anonymously like they are scared to even say a thing so they're they would tell me like even before covid like it, it's been really bad in that in that whole entire system the new york city health and hospitals and they were um, needing money. A lot of them, a lot of these hospitals were going under under and closing. So what a perfect opportunity to get a lot of money when there's cash and financial incentives for COVID patients. <laughs> you know, I haven't even got to that that yet. But I mean, it was they incentivized um, COVID patients, ventilators, they incentivized COVID deaths. With, with cash prizes and that is the perfect storm for and, sure and there you were a traveling nurse and when did you yeah. make the decision i'm going to expose this like how did that what 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 and what was what was the the wrestling match in your mind where you're like uh, you know i gotta say something did yeah you... um well i'm not a new nurse and i've been i've worked in many different hospitals i've worked in many different specialties um all over you know all over even you know i even worked in hospitals in iraq so it was like my first day and scary right i mean you're we're scared going in like oh my gosh what is this covid how is it killing everybody 
then I realized, okay, um, these patients, some of these patients hadn't even been touched in weeks. They have the IV poles, you know, with extensions outside of their room. And um, they're just pretty much laying there on a ventilator. There's no family allowed in these rooms. And um, the nurses and doctors just kind of didn't care anymore. <laughs> like everybody just was under the assumption that anybody in there is going to die anyway. So it is what it is. They don't know. There's no family to like, you know, even see what's going on. There's no accountability. There's the hospital has no liability um, by by executive order. Um, and it did, made me sick to my stomach. Did, did <laughs> they did I, they seem concerned for their own safety at this point? Um, some of the nurses were, yeah, um, were more concerned about their health than their patients. Well, actually, most most were, um, and that made me, you know, well, what are you doing here then? You know, like get the nurses that want to, that actually want to do their job, not just collect the paycheck. But it was the large paycheck that brought people in. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of money, like ten thousand dollars a week. Mind you, we're working twelve-hour shifts every single day. Um, but so what? You know, what's the life worth? That? You know, I, I just for me, I just I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I if I didn't say anything. And I am really disappointed in a lot of my colleagues for you know staying quiet. And, you know, I, I've caught a lot of flack from my own community, you know, for calling them out. But I'll do it every single day because this is, we're, as nurses, we're mandatory reporters, we're patient advocates. We're supposed to, you know, help people not hurt them. So and what's what that, a mandatory reporter? What's that mean, a mandatory reporter? Um, Like, it's, it's our part of our job, our duty as nurses and doctors to be mandatory reporters if we see something unethical, negligent going on. Like that is in our job description by law. We have to say something. Well, you kick so, the door open and there, I think they're going to be a lot that follow your lead. And we, you know, they're, they're trying to destroy Cuomo for these really half-baked me too allegations because they want to distract from the reality of what he did. But I just think, it's all going to come. They cannot stop it from coming out. And as more and more people discover that their loved ones were, were, were killed through negligence, um, I just yeah. think it's going to be an avalanche that they cannot stop. Um, I hope so. The problem is that a lot of these families don't even know, and they're still living in fear. You know, um, they did a really good job of brainwashing people. You know, even like the hero, the frontline hero status, like they had parades every every night at 7 p.m. in New York for us. <laughs> and, and to walk outside knowing what was going on in these hospitals made me sick. <laughs> you know, like they have parades for nurses not doing their jobs and doctors experimenting on these patients and you know, not providing them care. There were police officers that were picking up homeless people um, in New York and bringing them into the emergency room against their will. Once they got to the emergency room, they would drug them up with sedatives and made them end up on a COVID floor and a ventilator eventually in a body bag. Like, this is what was happening. And everybody was okay with it. And so 
it was literally my first day I got back to the hotel room I remember I got on like my hands and knees and I just like bawled my eyes out <laughs> like I can't even believe this at that point in time I was no longer afraid of COVID I was afraid of like my own you know colleagues and who I was working with in the hospital and I was afraid for any other patients that like came into the hospital. Did you feel like they were just alien? Were you like looking at them realizing that? I I felt like I was on a different planet. Like I I felt like it was, I I think I, I don't know how many times I I said, like I literally felt like I was living in the twilight zone. I still feel like that to this day. Now did you, did you have anyone to talk to? Like, you know, when you were experiencing, I, I can't imagine as a filmmaker and as a writer, I, I'm just, I can see and feel you walking out to, through these parades and and you're just disgusted at your cohorts and you're maybe even feeling shame that they're cheering for you, the emotion yeah. that you were feeling inside and and, and uh, that's just really powerful. Did you have anyone at the time, like who were you talking to? Well, that day um, I was like, I got back and I was just like, like bawling, I like decided I'm like, I need to talk to someone. <laughs> so I reached out to like a lot of my good friends that I trusted um, in, the, in, my, in the nursing profession. And I just asked them like, can we just get on a Zoom call? <laughs> Cause I, I needed to see actual people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. re, re, like, like humanity again. Cause like it, it did feel like I was in a twilight zone. And so I ended up, telling them everything i'm like this is what's happening like it's not is this they're not dying from COVID. like they're literally dying from just gross night like nobody cares and one of my friends her name is sarah um she's a nurse practitioner here in florida um did did a facebook live and it went like viral global viral um daily mail has a really good article on her but it's a nurse you know she was she was essentially my proxy so she was speaking out and she said, listen, I have a friend in New York. This is what's happening. And she went through like hell. And she talked she about the talked- ventilators. Did she talk about the ventilators yes. in depth? I remember that video. Yeah, that was really startling. Yes. So I was that friend. Okay. Um, so she got so much hate. Nobody believed her. I mean, I'm talking really bad detailed death threats. So I'm like, that's when I saw that happening. That happened, what, within a couple of days. She was like, Aaron, I don't, I, I can't even believe this. So I'm like, you know, no, no one's going to believe me either. Like, if they don't believe her and, like, that's what she's facing, I'm like, I need to step it up. <laughs> so I contacted an attorney in New York, and I'm like, this is what's happening. No one's going to believe it. I need to record. I need to record this, and I need to do it now. So I had um, a pair of spy glasses dropped off at the hotel. Now, who got, if you can say, who, how did you know, or who was like, let's get spy glass? How would that even cross your mind? You know, like, where did this idea come from? Spy glasses. Um, Well, it was like, what's the easiest way to do this? It was hard because I wanted to pin something on my shirt, but we had PPE that we were, you know, constantly taking on and off. One thing everybody was wearing was eye protection. You know, so it was either like a shield or some sort of like glasses. So that was like my idea. Um, that would be like the less, the least conspicuous. So 
they called them my nerd alert classes. Everyone thought it was funny. They had no idea that they were actually recording everything. That's and funny. Was, You're drawing was, attention to your glasses. <laughs> They're like, they have no I clue. Was, yeah, I, I mean, you like my glasses? I mean, They're my nerd alert glasses. Say hi. Say hi. Yeah. Talking to the glasses. You know, no one borrowed them. Yeah, exactly. they were mine. <laughs> you know? But, you know, it was just, I, this, if you make it seem normal, yeah. then it's, right? Like, that's kind of what they did with this whole COVID thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Six feet, six feet. It's all, oh, that's what they say. It must be normal. It's the same thing I do with the glasses. You know, it's just like, yeah, my regular glasses. They're eye protection from COVID. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I, when I started recording and, um, you know, I recorded some pretty horrible things. Um, a lot of murder. Um, a lot of what actually happened in these hospitals. And I'm sharing it with anyone that will listen because ultimately I've been fired, um, blacklisted, put on a do not hire her list for nursing for the rest of my life, which is fine because I think I'm more effective, um, you know, trying to fix a broken system than be a part of one. You know, here's the thing. You, it's not for the rest of your life. It's for the rest of the system's life. And we need to defeat this system. And yeah. you should be celebrated by your industry and inspire them to a reassessment of how they, you know, really your industry was co-opted and corrupted by the neoliberal elite and the media. And they were propagandized, gaslit, and swept into a crime. They, 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 you know, they were like some naive, your industry, these nurses and doctors were like some naive kid that was lured into a car by a bunch of thugs who were about to go rob a 7-Eleven and you just kind of went along with it. Um, you know, they didn't sign up to do this. They were just worn down and swept away. That, that's how I see it. But now they need to reassess and say, this can never, ever happen again. Um, but, I, you, right. know, I, you know, I'm, how hopeful are we that that's going to happen? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole reason we're here is because of order followers. You know, like uh, there are so many people that could have said no. There's so many doctors that could have said, no, I'm not listening to this. So it came, it trickled down, you know, it, it trickled from the governor to the administration of these hospitals. And this isn't just New York. I mean, this happened in other hospitals too. Um, and then, you know, it, it trickled through the hospital system. So, I mean, a lot of these emergency room doctors, they could have said no. They could have said, you know, because this is another thing, that comfort ship that Trump sent, that unused um that was supposed to be used for patients that didn't have covid but they didn't utilize it we were actually told to stand down and admit everybody because the financial incentive to admit a patient for covid or covid rule out which was normally people that didn't have covid but they wanted to just make sure so they would send a test out that would return for five to ten days and in the meantime that patient would get covid or be put on a ventilator but it was $13,000 to admit these patients. And then another $39,000 to put them on a ventilator. And then in some cases, um, $10,000 per COVID staff to put them in um, a freezer truck. So that those Which, hospitals saw that, that <laughs> ship, the way McDonald's yeah. sees an In-N-Out burger setting up across the street. Yeah. Competition absolutely. for money. Yep. Never and- utilized. And as you demonstrate in your undercover journalism, they were repeatedly putting 
vulnerable communities without COVID for days next to people with COVID in the same room. Yeah. Sweeping people off the street that were homeless and shoving them into rooms with people with COVID. Yeah. And they died. Many of them died. I mean, I don't know what other, how how else to explain it besides like murder. You know, there's just no other word. Our own industry that we're supposed to trust. Did anyone from any uh, like any law enforcement agencies show interest in what she discovered? No. No. That's really a shame. I've That's... never even. I mean, I've never been sued. They've never come after me. The only thing I got was a. I got two letters from the New York City Health and Hospitals, and what that letter said is, "We would like your video." And I said, my attorney said, "No." And that was it. Um, so there's a reason why, and that's because they don't want it exposed. Because under oath, they, I mean, this would be crimes against humanity, you know. Um, so I've been left alone. The only thing that they could do is fire me, but I have my license still um, because I did my job, you know. You did your job. You know, one of the things that was most moving about your 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 reporting is in one of the interviews, you know, you break down crying, telling the story about a 36-year-old man yeah. who, who who died, who his parents made it very clear he must be resuscitated. Mm-hmm. And they they were completely, um, they, thought, they, did, they didn't, they were told that, they were told from higher-ups not to resuscitate. And you began, yeah. to, you began to cry. You began to cry. And I thought, here's a veteran, a combat veteran. Yet, mm-hmm. you... Um, still were thoughtful for each of your patients. Do you think the military training is what allowed you to still see each of your patients as precious? And if maybe if you hadn't had that training, you might've just been formed like those other nurses and doctors. No, I don't think so. I think it's just how I was raised. Um, I was raised to care about other people. Um, I don't know. It's just in me. It's just in me to care. I, th- I think it's in most people. I think most people care about other people. But, um, you know, I-, I do think the military gave me the strength um, to go undercover. But I think it's just kind of, you know, in people to want to care about other people. You know, so it's very disappointing to know that, you know, other people, people in my industry which is supposed to be a caring industry um you know cared more about their paycheck and um than they did the human life like that 37 year old you know I I connected with him one because we're the same age you know like that could have been any that could have been me and so what would I have wanted you know I was like I wouldn't have wanted to be treated the way that he was treated by you know my colleagues and um, he was one of the ones, yeah, in my expose that I, I talked about that was a full code, which means they want to be resuscitated. Like, they want to be saved if they might die. You know, if, they, if, if you don't want to be saved, you put a DNR, do not resuscitate, which is usually like elderly, you know, populations that are like, oh, live my life, I'm okay. He's 37. And the doctors ordered us nurses down. And said that we're not to save him, even though he's a full code. 
That's gross negligence. And did he die? He died. He died with us. Um, it was me and two other nurses over his arguing with the doctors over his body as he died. Do you think if he was never admitted to that, that hospital, he would be alive today? He would be alive, 100%. That's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It is. It's heartbreaking. It's, it's awful. Like a lot of, I mean, imagine like you're, you're in a medically induced coma uh, like that you don't have to be in. I mean, they, that's what they were doing with these people is putting them, when you're on a ventilator, you're in a coma essentially. And so you don't know what's going on. And then you don't have nurses or doctors even coming in your room because they don't want to like get sick, I guess, even though that's why we're there. Um, and then, you know, not coding you and just letting you die and you're and telling the family that you did everything you could and assuring them that, you know, we did the best we could. I never said that to them. I told them the truth. Um, but like, did they you appreciate know, you telling the truth or was there sort of a resentment there? I mean, sometimes it can go both ways, right? They don't want to hear that. Yeah. Because they feel culpable for bringing them there. I, I like there was a lot of doctors that would tell patients or the the family members, you know, yeah, there's there's you know we can possibly there's there's this we're trying this we can do this, which was a lie because they wouldn't try any of it. And so I I did talk to a couple, you know, family members. I'm like, listen, like anything more, all of this treatment is just it's not going to help, you know. Like there's, there's no turning back right now. Like I, I would give them at least a chance to just like pray with their loved one or like say their final like goodbyes or whatever. Like that's what was stolen from a lot of family members too. Cause they were given like this hope that there was, that, that was a lie. So they never really got to like say their goodbyes or say their prayers or whatever, you know, maybe it was like their culture to do something or you know, like that was stolen from the family member. So at least like I could be like, you know, it, it, this is unethical to do any more treatment. You know, there there was a nurse practitioner that they hired as a third party there um, running experimental drugs on patients. I, I don't know how many times I had to kick her out of my room because I'm like, you're not touching my patients. You know, like I, I would. I mean, it's like Dr. Mangala stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was awful. Like I, I can't even. I could talk for like 12 hours about all this stuff like that happened. It was, it was, um, unimaginable. It was, it was like a real life horror movie. <laughs> well, you know, I think you should really, I, and I'd love to talk to you just about this needs to be a, a movie. Um, yeah. maybe even a short film first, just about that, that first day walking out with the people applauding you. That's just such, such a powerful emotive experience. We're there, you know, I look yeah. at the world as being yeah. black in the, we live in a world of black and white people. Most people are like black and white, so a black and white movie. But then every once in a while, you'll see like a unicorn in color galloping through the streets with the rainbows coming from behind her or him. When you were experiencing this in this, it was a horror movie. Would you see the occasional nurse or doctor like a gallop, you know, like a unicorn trotting through the hospital that was doing the right thing or was just everyone swept away by the moment? No, there was some good, there was a really, really good resident that I'll never forget. Um, and he knew um, when one of my patients was essentially murdered, he heard about it. He, he got, because these residents, 
went went um they were like on our unit for like two weeks they would just kind of go from unit to unit so at that point he was in the emergency room he actually came upstairs and he shut the door and he said you did the right thing i know i know what's going on i know what's wrong and you are really really good nurse you know and i'm like well, you need to say something he's like He's going to say something, but he needs to get to school. He's not, you know, he's a resident. He's still, he's still trying to just get his, you know, his medical degree. So what an experience for these, for these guys that, you know, have been training on the job. So how many residents think that this is okay, that are now going to be out in the world as doctors, you know? You chastised one of the residents. It was beautiful. You told her, you're not going to be a good doctor. You're going to learn from this. Yeah. Was yeah. she outed? What, 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 do we know who she is? Was she, will she learn from this? I was thinking yeah. when you were saying that, you meant you're going to be, it's going, what you've just said is going to be public. And so this will be a great yeah. learning experience for you. Did she yeah. have the privilege yeah, no. of being outed and is she going to learn from this? Oh, she will. She will. Um, she was the one that told us, she was the one that had us stand down and not code that 37 year old. So yeah, I know exactly who she is and I have her on video saying it and doing it. So um, yeah, I mean, in time, you know, this is one of those things that, I mean, it's hard enough just to be heard, you know, that I've had to move because of death threats, you know, like, there's like so many things that I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually pretty surprised that I'm still alive, to be honest with you. That's yeah, like you've received, you know, that's what's been amazing in all this. You've, you've charged forward, you've received death threats for what? Like, it's obvious you demonstrated courage to go to New York. You, you went to the front lines out of a concern for patients. Your journalism is for the world to see what you're reporting is actually true. Um, yeah. Why would anyone be upset with you? And I don't think that there's a cabal. I would hope not. God forbid that they'd be that brazen of, um, you know, the medical industry threatening you. I just think it's really pious people that don't want the gods of the city to be offended. They've been so well propagandized that, you speaking against the gods of the city infuriates them. You're a blasphemer. Just random yeah. kooks, right? These are just random kooks that have been so thoroughly propagandized that you are breaking the story. You're breaking the well, myth. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like the most hate messages that I've gotten are from my own industry, um, mostly nurses. And, um, and the, the whole argument is that I stole away their hero status that's why i don't like to be called a hero um because i don't find anything about what happened heroic um but that is their biggest argument that i stole their hero status away from them how dare i <laughs> but nurses know better than any you know a couple of years ago i collapsed in a hotel i was traveling and just doing things i shouldn't have been doing and i had got a, a exertional rhabdomyolysis like surfed in the morning in florida flew to Chicago, went to a boxing gym, boxed a few rounds, went to Indiana, gave a speech, went to my hotel and collapsed in the lobby. And when I was in the, um, I woke up in an ambulance and I made a FaceTime live saying, I'm supposed to speak in Milwaukee. Who can cover for me? <laughs> I need someone to go to Milwaukee and cover for me. <laughs> By the time I got to the emergency room, I received calls from three nurse friends of mine saying, fight for your life. Hospitals are very dangerous places. It was startling. This, these were nurses that called me that were my friends that said, they, and they all said the same thing. And it, I, was, I thought they were crazy. Like, what? What do you mean? Yeah. Fight for my life. 
hospitals are very, mm-hmm. di- you know, your life is in your hands now. Um, I didn't understand that. So is this something that as most nurses would under normal si- situations say, look, they're over, they're understaffed, overworked, burdened with procedures. You need to take responsibility for your own health when, when you're in a hospital. And that's what they all kept saying. You are responsible for your health in that hospital. Fight for yourself. No, that you're, they're exactly right. Like even on good days before this pandemic, it was not good. It was very bad. And I just want to clarify, like most nurses are good. Most doctors are good, you know, but will they do good put in a situation like we were in New York getting paid that much money? Money is the root of all evil, you know, and, and that is where, that's why our healthcare system is not good because the administrations of these hospitals are more concerned about their paychecks and the budget than they are the actual people that come in. And, you know, as even as a new nurse, I was like, this is so strange. Like all I'm doing is handing out pills and more pills and more pills, 13 in the morning, 13 in the afternoon, 13 at night, more pills, more pills, more pills. Like they never looked at the root cause and that's what we we're trained to do. Like why, why are we not, why are we ignoring this? And now it makes sense because, you know, it, treating the root cause would cure the problem and curing the problem would remove the profit. Is that your mission and, now? Is that your mission yeah. as a nurse going forward is to help people treat the root causes of illness? Yeah. And re- I want to restore ethics in healthcare and I'm, I'm tired of, you know, this profit and power and all this politics being put over people and you know that this is what it is now is not what I signed up to do (laughs) well I don't mean to draw you into another controversy but to me it it doesn't seem that it's an accident that in the city that uh two years ago lit freedom tower up pink to celebrate abortion up until and after birth is the same city where they send COVID patients to group homes in nursing homes I think it's not a yeah. It's it's yeah. they have forgotten the profession, the medical profession has forgotten this what was in the original Hippocratic oath that we are to stand with the most vulnerable from their biological beginning to their end of life, no matter how sick they are. They're mm-hmm. forgetting that. And they're just seeing us, what is your utility to society? Our job is to make you as useful for society as, as long as possible. And then when we can't do that, adios amigo. Yeah. So yeah. It's not by coincidence. That's definitely for sure. How did you, now I want to get to Hawaii now. So when did you do your first video? When did your friend's video come out uh, where she was basically your surrogate? When, what month was that? Um, that would have been in April, sometime mid-April. So now it's My, almost a year right? later. And yeah. now you were in, everyone in Hawaii was so excited to tell me, nurse Aaron is coming to our event. Um, what, so what have you been doing Like this? Obviously this was your inciting incident. You know, do you know the three, like the three act structure, the basic monomyth of a film, you have that inciting incident, that call to adventure. Most people, we all get the call to adventure. Most of us hang up the call, right? We're like, yeah, never mind. I'm going back to sleep. But you got this call to adventure in April and now you've, you've been out in the world fighting for medical ethics, fighting for the vulnerable what led you to Hawaii this week where you saw something, again, unimaginable and unthinkable? I know. What I le- can't believe it. What led you there? How did you get there? Um, well, Jen um, 
my gosh, I'm Jennifer Noel with the Aloha Freedom Coalition, is it? I think it's a coalition. Um, you know, found me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram's Aaron underscore BSN, if anyone wants to follow. But, um, you know, said, you know, we need help. And I'm like, you do? Like, I, you don't hear anything about Hawaii. Like, I, I had no idea what was going on. And so, you know, they started telling me, like, yeah, we've been pretty much locked down since the very beginning. And I'm like, what? Because Florida's open. You know, it's like, we're living our lives, minus the fact that they still have masks from the children in school, which I totally disagree with. But other than that, I mean, we're living freely. You don't see people scared of other people here. So when she was telling me that, I'm like, how can that? Yes, I will come. And yes, I will you know, tell people what not to be afraid. And this is how, you know, the people in New York where everybody's basing off of all these lockdowns are, you know, they didn't die from COVID. So I ended up coming out there and, and you know, it was like seconds after I got there, the, all these police started showing up and they were surrounding the, the rally. And, um, you know, standing there, with their arms crossed, all, they're all masked up, like ready to, you know, I, I didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> it was like, I've never seen this in my life. Minus like war, right? Like they, they had the paddy wagons out there. It was and they like, came, so you were there, everything was fine, right? And then they just came out of the blue, like a military operation, right? It was set up just like a military operation. It surrounded us. I'm like, okay. All it was right. a cordon. Um, it was a, it was a mil- So, you know, I was arrested at the first reopen event in America, in Hawaii. It was in Hawaii. And as a wow. former soldier like you, what set me off was the military precision of it. Three wow. platoons, we were along a road, so they only needed three platoons, came from three directions swiftly. And being a soldier, I know how to break a cordon. I ordered everyone in the crowd to move towards the, so- the police. I say I call them soldiers. I said, move yeah. towards the, I, I said, move towards the police, move towards the police. That way they can't effectively cordon us. So I, we, uh, we broke their cordon really quick, very easily. Cause you know, we did. And we, so then they ended up arresting me, but what upset me so much was these are families. You're sweeping in with like a military operation on elderly women, people dancing the hula, people singing songs. That was a year ago. So what you're saying is they did the same tactic this week. Yeah. Yep. They sure did. Um, this time, though, I mean, I did the same thing. I went right up to them. I, I'm, I actually am so disappointed because, I, and I call them order followers. I'm like, you guys are, you guys are, the, this is exactly what happened in New York. This is the, this is the whole reason we're here. It's because of order followers. You guys are following unethical, unjust, unconstitutional orders. And all it's going to take is one of you to step out of your ring and say enough is enough. Like, that's what I did. Like, you know, I, can you imagine if, if all of them did that, we wouldn't be here. Like, they know what they're doing. But I guess the paycheck is more important. You know, um, one of the Hawaiians was saying that they took $30 million stimulus for COVID and gave it COVID relief and gave it to the police department. Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, and I have friends in HPD. The day I was arrested, that day, my wife had to get home because she was babysitting our friend's daughter because, of, the, of course, there was no daycare because of COVID. 
who was an HPD officer and had to go to work. So she's like, okay, honey, I'll bail you out. I have to go home because I'm, I'm babysitting our friend's kid. So after I get there, I'll come back and bail you out. So, and I, and my, you know, one of my best friends and my college roommate is HPD. We're a small island. As you see, we're family. And that's what yeah. makes it so shocking. Like there were people in that crowd who were friends with some of those HPD officers. Did the officers, now when I left, and I left in July, there was really something amazing that happened. So they arrested me, they sent me my money back, and I got apology letters from everyone involved in my arrest in the mail. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow, right? Then the week before we were leaving Hawaii, we were doing another reopen event, and the, sh the sheriffs and the police were there at the Capitol, and they, made a, they had a big line. But one by one, all of them, except for one officer, came up to me separately, they, in order, and said, thank you for what you're doing. Keep it up. That was in July. So I've been gone. And, and I've been, we're launching a new organization, hawaiifoodsecurity.org, this week with a plan to make Hawaii food secure because they're, they're really, they've put Hawaii in a very bad place. You've probably seen the homelessness, the food lines. It's unbelievable. Um, it's awful. I mean, I couldn't even hike. We wanted to hike. They, they said it's too dangerous because there's too many homeless people living on the hiking trails. <laughs> yeah, did you see, wow. now, now I think a lot of people, and I think folks in Hawaii just think it's normal. They forget that this is not normal. No. Can, and can you explain to people what you saw in Hawaii with your own eyes? With um, food lines and homelessness and. Yeah, I mean, even just getting off the plane, it's like you, you are now entering a communist country. It doesn't even feel like, it doesn't feel like Hawaii. It feels like China. I mean, it it feels that it, it's just it's very bizarre, you know, from somebody that is coming from normalcy, kind of, you know what I mean? Um, but everybody's walking around in masks. Um, everybody's very, very fearful. Um, you know, even in even all the way to the hotel, um, it was just very empty. There's homeless people walking all over. There, I mean, everywhere you look, there's a homeless person. Um, all of these, like, small little, you know, cute, quaint little businesses are just out. They're, they're done, you know. The only ones left standing are the other larger hotel-type resort places. But the mom-and-pop shops are gone, you know. They've destroyed the families. And um, I, I was talking, wherever we went, I would talk to the locals. Um, a waitress sticks out. Her name was Britt. I actually wanted, I said free Brit, you know, because they have the free Britney um, yeah, right. beers. Like free Brit, Hawaiian Brit. Because, like, she's a single mom. And, like, they just opened some of the restaurants now. But she was about to be homeless with her son. Because she couldn't, they couldn't afford it anymore they, they i mean everybody is drowning except for the big businesses there you know and and it's just it's just really sad because i they don't know what they don't know because they're censoring what's really happening outside of hawaii you know the, the hawaiians only know what the news is telling them and what they're allowed to see and that's that is, it's, it's unethical. Like, you know? we've been it, free. It, You've been free in Florida yeah. since when? The summer? Last summer? I mean, they locked down us down for, like, two weeks in the very beginning. But other than that, it's been open. You know, we moved to New Braunfels, Texas in the last week of July. 
we've I've been free and it's been free and open ever since. Unless I go to like Austin, the day mm-hmm. that I saw what we're about to talk to this tragic event, I was speaking in Dallas to 500 people in a huge banquet hall. There were lines of people for you know wanting my books and movies and hats and shirts or whatever. So I'm shaking hands with you know 100 people, 200 people, signing books, da da da. Then I drive home, and uh, you know. Texas is just alive. People are going everywhere. And then I get home and I open up my laptop and I see this reopen event in Hawaii and I'm so excited. Oh yeah, they're all out at the park together. This is great. And then all of a sudden I see this military operation and then this just horrible thing, which you might not even know how bad it gets because I just saw a video and caught something I don't think anyone caught. But the police did this this cordon movement, military operation on families, and mm-hmm. picked up a veteran woman, threw her down to the ground, and choked her. And while she's mm-hmm. being choked, one of the HPD officers says, let me guess, you can't breathe. I did not see that, but I believe it. Yeah, I just posted all- it on my Facebook, and we're getting it to Alex Jones and others, and we're going to get that. We're, gonna, we're going to make her famous. Let me guess, you can't breathe. That's what this police officer said. Yeah, I remember, I mean, you can see them clearly kneeling on her neck. And and uh, my friend, um, her name's Caitlin, she came with me from Tampa. Um, You can hear her saying something about like, oh, is this your George Floyd? Like, what about George Floyd? But you're going to do the same thing. I mean, it it was eerie. It was very, very eerie. And it makes me like stick to my stomach, especially, especially the fact she's a veteran. And her kids were there. She had two children with her. And her kids saw all of it. Her his two little boys saw all of it. Imagine the trauma, tra- how traumatized they're going to be for the rest of their life. So some of my friends who were Hawaiian and another friend of mine who was Filipino, we, we were talking about this yesterday. He said they picked her because she was white. 800 people were doing just what she did. They targeted her because she was a white woman. They knew they could get away with it. Do you think that that, would you say, or maybe you don't know enough about Hawaii to get this sort of optics of it all. But how many people, what was she doing different than anyone else in that crowd of, of upwards of, my friend said there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. What was she doing that was different? Um, well, I, it, she was wearing, you know, American flag pants. Um, I think there, she may have been around uh, Trump sign. You know, I mean, she was definitely targeted. She had a mask uh, on. She was wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah. There were hundreds of I people mean, without masks even. Oh, most people didn't have a mask on. So they pick a woman with a mask, two children to body slam. Yeah. Yep. One of the women officers, um, she was the one, she had a bun and it was um, kind of like one of those bandana masks on, red red hair. Yeah, the redheaded woman was the one that said, let me guess, you can't breathe. She needs to be fired. Earlier in the day, she had stated and. I'll send you this video. Maybe you can. Yeah, we need to get her name. If you, you have can one, get it. Okay. She said she didn't care about the people because we we were. This was before this happened. We were kind of like you said. You go up to the officers. I went up to the officers too, um, because I wanted to let them know that what they were doing was unethical. But she literally stated that specific one that you know we're like you're supposed to be protecting these people she goes i don't care about these people so she doesn't care about the Hawaiian people i guess um i i think that that would probably 
upset quite a few people. But I, I hope that to see her fired because she was, I think she was kind of the, the leader dictator that nobody needs and, and the police force that are supposed to be for the people. Um, she obviously has a major. Uh, well, we have a new mayor and uh, Mayor Blangiardi who has signaled that he supports reopening Hawaii and he was upset at the police ab- abuse. So, and it's an abuse of the police too, just like it's an abuse of the medical profession. And I blame our political leaders for putting our police officers in this position. Um, and you know, some people are going to be thugs. You give people permission to be thugs. There's, you know, in any group of any profession, they're going to choose to be thugs. And that woman chose to be a thug. Um, and, uh, she choked a, a woman in front of her mother and then she insulted George Floyd. I mean, to be honest, she's making light of what, what happened to George Floyd. Let me guess you yeah. can't breathe. Ha ha. Like that's a joke. Like it's a joke. You're choking a woman in front of her kids. And it's a joke that George Floyd died. Whatever you think about the politics surrounding the aftermath of George, George Floyd's death, police officers joking about it while they're choking somebody is utterly unacceptable. Well, I mean, these people, are the same people in the hospital, you know, they're the same. It's the same, except for what the only difference is the fact that we the, we recorded it. You know, like everyone could she did it in 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 front of others. Imagine not allowing family and and not and like someone like her just doing what they wanted with no accountability. Like that's kind of like what was happening with these doctors in the hospitals. Nobody saw it. So they, they got away with even more. It's really sad. A lot of people have no, I don't know. They don't care about human life, I guess. It just blows my mind. I just can't believe this is America. And you, it just, it's just sad. You know, the, the wrong people are in charge. Yeah, well, if, if anything you need to know about the people of Hawaii, the most, it's the most beautiful community on earth. Yeah. I am sad every single day for not being there. And I, like I told my friends, I didn't leave Hawaii, I deployed, because I've been fighting for food security and fighting for Hawaii every day since I left in a way that I couldn't have if I stayed. In fact, I would have been arrested. I know with my temper, if I would have seen that, I'd probably be spending the rest of my life in prison. <laughs> I, I, uh, it was so upsetting and so unbelievable and so unexpected yeah. that, that this is going on a year later. Just a raw abuse of power. Just you raw- know. In a roundabout way, I think it was a blessing in disguise, even though, you know, it happened because I, Hawaii was not getting enough attention. Like, I didn't even know what was going on there. You know, like, I think that they're going to try to use Hawaii as um, an experiment with this, with this new MRNA you know, vaccine as well. You know, there. This is the perfect opportunity to target islanders that that can't escape. You know, and it, it is, it is coming. You know. Um, yeah, if they have that even, passport, vac, uh, that that vaccine passport. Yeah. You know, if you're from Hawaii, or you live on Hawaii, and you have loved ones there, you will be compelled. It'll be almost irresistible. You'll never see your grandchildren again, or your grandparents again or you get this experimental gene therapy, what are you going to yeah. do? What, what, are you, what would I do? You know, my daughter lives there. Uh, it's mm-hmm. really horrible. So you're right. I think that we need to turn this obstacle into opportunity. We need to stand on this. We need to make this yeah. woman famous. We need to find her name. 
We need to get her name out there. Mayor Balanciard needs to fire her. Maybe she needs to be criminally charged for excessive use of force. Um, it's obvious they're using the cover of law to deprive the people of Hawaii of their First Amendment rights. They're very clever. Like with me, they arrested me, left me in a car for three hours with two other people. The two others got heat stroke. Um, oh I may have, I may have had heat stroke because I was sick for three days. And my wife said I was I was flush and sick for three days. I just didn't go to the hospital. And they left us in a parking garage for three hours. Then they finally let us in and uh, let us out, sent our money home and sent us apology letters, and they never even filed charges. So th this is the game they've been playing now for a year, for a year, um, decimating the state. So you, how, how many places have you been? Like, Have you been to New York? Where have you been? How does Hawaii compare to the other places you've been in the past 12 months with just sort of despair and tyranny? Was it the worst? Um, yeah, uh, it's definitely up in the, <clears throat> well, it's comparable to New York, honestly. It, I think it's just as bad, actually. Um, New York is, it, our children will never know what it was like. I, I'll say that. You know, like, I don't know. I, I don't, I definitely know that New York will never be, be to what it was. Hawaii, I think, has a chance um, if enough people stand up to, you know, keep their, you know, keep keep Hawaii, Hawaii. Um, but New York is long gone. I think that's those are probably the two of the worst states that I've been to, and I've been all around the country at this point. Um, Did the people that you talked to have a sense that they knew they were having it worse than anywhere else in the developed world? Yeah, you know, a lot of, I always talk to that. I was talking, you know, like on the beach, they have like the, the kids like, you know, selling the surfboards or whatever. And so I, we went and talked to a lot of those locals and they're like, yeah, I don't, we, we don't have a choice though. Like, what, what do we do? <laughs> you know, so people know that it's, it's over and, but they don't know what to do. That's the problem. You know, like, there's, they know it's, they know it's happening, but they don't know how to step well, The Republican it. party there is as lame as the Democrat party. There's no courage coming from the Republican party. In no. In fact, when I was, you know, trying to lead the charge to open up the state, I was being publicly attacked by leading members of the Republican party who've since left politics, but you know, they, they didn't last long, but uh, yeah. So there's really no opposition party in Hawaii. There's, there's the Democrat party. They have an Island state. And we always joke, you know, which island will have two parties first, Cuba or Hawaii. Um, but yeah, it's it, there's really is nothing for people to do. There's one newspaper that pounds the narrative, and um, we're we're all big families that live together. So that makes it, you know, if you are an HPD officer, a nurse in Hawaii, you might be caring for twelve members of your family live in your house, and you're the only one with an income. So it's going to make it very hard for you to speak up. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's what they're, they're counting on, you know? I mean, they're counting on everyone just not saying anything and going along with it, and it's working. There's at least three groups that I know of, though, in Hawaii, like the Hawaii Freedom Keepers, the Hawaii Children's Health Defense, and the Oloha Freedom Coalition. Like, those guys are all working together. And, I mean, I think that if anybody in Hawaii wanted, you know, to get involved, that's a good way to start is to just look for those groups 
and find out how you can help, you know, and you don't necessarily have to like lose your job. Like, like I did, you know, you can do a lot of things behind the scenes too, you know, just like helping to, you know, even push new, you know, legislation or maybe run, run for, for office. Us. Yeah, exactly. Run yeah. for office or, we, or make sure that our, our Kapuna and, and, and our children are being fed with groups like Kapuna, uh, Kapuna needs, because we've, we've had, uh, gr- you know, groups working to make sure everyone in Hawaii is getting food because they've been elderly afraid to leave their house that have been found half dead from malnutrition yeah. and starvation, which there are no news yeah. stories about that. Children as young as nine years old have committed suicide in Hawaii um, because they're lonely. Yeah. Not, they haven't left their house since March. So there's, there's something that everyone can do. And, you know, yeah, Nurse Sharon, we don't all have to, you know, risk our jobs like you did. Now, I want to wrap this up with, what are you doing now and how can people support you? I just ordered your book on Kindle. I'm going to go on your website and I want my autographed copy of your book. I'm going to put your link in the show notes. Uh, this battle for, for uh, medical ethics and, and, and is just beginning, right? So as, this, as the country finally opens up, we pray, we're going to have to reassess. And I think that's when your job is just beginning. We're going to have to reform the medical pro- profession. You'll be at the front of that. Um, how do people follow you and, and what's next for you? Yeah, um, well, one, I think that we need a roundtable at the White House, so that's what I'm going for. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't have a roundtable of, of nurses, and if we're the most trusted profession, we make up 80% of the healthcare industry, um, we should have a say. Um, so, like, that's a goal. Um, and then with that, I want to make us put ethics at the very top of, you know, the forefront. Um, also, um, there's more nurses coming out. Um, created actually an organization. It's called GlobalFrontlineNurses.com, and you can read about other nurse whistleblowers that um, have slowly trickled in, which is amazing. Um, so that is another um, thing that I've been working on, and um, I wrote a book about everything that happened with like an additional transcript in that um that i recorded and that can be found at er- nurseerin.org um but yeah i'm just continuing um speaking uh, right now and whatever whatever god has planned for me i'll go but for now i'm just kind of just being called to to just kind of wake people up and and get people living their lives and, and knowing the truth and you know, making sure that our children, I have three boys myself, so I have some skin in the game, <laughs> um, you know, grow up in a free and happy world and not, you know, um, one that they they don't recognize anymore. So yeah. I think that's, that's, what, that's why you answered that call to adventure. It's for those three boys. And I always think of what yeah. Frodo said to Samwise at the end of Lord of the Rings. We save the Shire, but not for us. Yeah. And whatever, we'll, I'll, 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 I'll plod on towards Mordor till my last days. All I need to know is that we will save the Shire, that our children will live in peace and have the freedom yeah. and the beautiful lives that we were, had the privilege of having when we were young, uh, that we can make sure that our children and grandchildren have that. So, Nurse Aaron, you are, don't get mad at me for saying it, you are a hero. You are a real hero. Thank you for answering the call to adventure when, um, you know, we all get the call and most of us hang out. Say, never mind, I'm not wrong number. <laughs> call Nurse Erin. <laughs> you answered the call. Yeah. So thank you very much. And thank you for going to Hawaii and fighting for us. Because I tell you, I have survivor's guilt 
living in the hill country of Texas, knowing that everyone I love, my family and my friends, are brutally locked down. And today I'm going to go to uh, San Antonio. I'm going to go to the boxing gym. I'm going to get Mexican food and uh, at this cool little taco stand outside. I'm never going to wear a mask. Then I'm going to come home and take my girls to dance. And meanwhile, my, they, they have friends that they FaceTime every day in Hawaii who have not left their home since March. Oh. And it makes yeah, me feel it's, it's, guilty. Like, why I should not have left. I should be there with them. I feel that way. And thank you. So thank you for going there. And, um, and more importantly, if I could just ask you this last favor, please, yeah. everywhere you go, everywhere you speak, if you could just say, tell people what's happening in Hawaii, because every time I do a new show, they go, really? Hawaii? I never heard. And so you yeah. can tell a lot of people what, you know, speak up for the people of Hawaii because no one is hearing what's happening there. No, I, and I am, and I will, and I will continue to do it because nobody, does, I didn't know either. So, and I know, I know a lot and I don't know that. <laughs> so, um, they, they keep that very, very, very quiet and there's a reason for that and it's not a good one. So I will continue speaking up for Hawaii and, um, we'll, we'll free it. We'll free you guys. We'll free Hawaii and then Nurse here and I. Maybe I'll, we'll do a big event, a big celebration of Hawaii. My next movie, we're scheduled to shoot in Hawaii in the um, late fall. So uh, I'll be back there for two months shooting my next movie. And um, hopefully my goal is it's a Christmas movie set in Hawaii is the next year to do a huge red carpet premiere and festival built around the theme of the film. Beautiful. Uh, it's, it's a Christmas movie. And that festival better be set in a free, healthy, vibrant, and thriving Hawaii. That is my goal. So we, we can all go there. And, and did you have, now did you get to have like Spam Musubi and things like that? What's that? What's Spam Musubi? Who were your hosts? What, what is Jennifer it? Noel. Like Are you a vegetarian? <laughs> Maybe Jennifer's a vegetarian. Spam Musubi, I, it's. No. Okay, it's seaweed wrapped around Spam and rice. No, I didn't. The I best didn't. thing in the world. Did you have Korean barbecue? No. What did you eat while you were there? I don't, I ate. Uh, I mean, I ate a lot of seafood. Okay, so where did you go? <laughs> um. Well, one of the only places that was open was Duke, so I was at Duke. My daughter works there. She might have waited on you. Wow. Yeah, she what works at name? Dukes and Alejandro's. She's oh, a bartender wow. at Alejandro's and a cocktail waitress at Dukes. Her name's Marion. Little, okay. She's a hapahauli. Okay. And she, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure who. Now nah, you would remember. But yeah. I, I did, I did meet um, uh, Brit though there. Brit. You met Brit at Dukes? That was that free Brit. Yeah. She, what did, she worked at Dukes. I'm sure she's it's friends here. with my daughter. You know, I worked at Dukes. I was the bouncer at Dukes like 25 years ago. Wow. And I wish it was the best job I ever had in my life. I want to go back. Maybe it's one amazing. day I'll get to be a, the, the 75-year-old bouncer at Dukes. That would be amazing. It would be a great way to go out. Never. Huh? Never say never. Right? <laughs> Just a 75-year-old guy saying, can I see your ID? Let me see your ID. <laughs> there you go. All right. You never know. You never know <laughs> that we can live. That's my dream. I'm going to be a UFC heavyweight champion in the world in my 60s. And then in my 70s, I'm going to go back to Dukes and close things out. <laughs> By being a bouncer, and uh, yeah, and then I'll live happily ever after. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag goals. All right. 
Nurse Aaron, my goal is to be as brave as you. Thank you very much for being on the show. I'm going to sell pillows now. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thanks for keeping my story alive. Oh, no, your story's just beginning. I tell this to all my friends who, that are getting canceled. You'll be hosting the Academy Awards in 20 years, 10 years. You know, you can only, you're not, they're not canceling people. They're pressing pause. <laughs> like, you just press the pause button. You didn't cancel Nurse Aaron. You didn't blacklist her for life. You pressed pause. Oh, she'll be back. It's just, no, this is just a pause they pressed. They have canceled themselves. They will be on the wrong side of history. They are on the wrong side of history. They just don't know it yet. And when you get yeah. swept away by the spirit of the time, I call them timelings. The last thing you want to be is a timeling. The last thing you want to be is like the perfect reflection of your time. Yeah. You know, that's no good. You want to rise above your time. And that's what you did. You were not swept away. Everyone else, God bless them. They're not bad people. They just didn't have the strength to resist and um, were swept away. Those who were brutal and took advantage of that um, enthusiasm to try to cancel and destroy you, in the end, really, they've canceled themselves. That nurse or that, that, that doctor uh, wannabe that said to you, you know, that you said, you know, this will be a learning lesson. Yeah, it'll be a learning lesson for her and she's not going to like it. And that, that HPD officer kneeling on a woman's, a veteran's neck in front of her two children, she brought shame to her family. She brought shame to HPD and the truth will come out and the truth will stand. Uh, and that woman who's had her neck kneeled on, and like you, they'll be heroes that we remember. So thank you, Nurse Aaron. Thank you so much. Aloha. All right, Aloha. guys, like Nurse Aaron, guess who else is another hero? Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell is all of our heroes. So what you need to do is go to MyPillow.com and get your pillows by using the code Jones, all right? And remember, this episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the vulnerable from the child in the womb to those families in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan, those Uyghurs in concentration camps, go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor. Check out my new movie, Divided Hearts of America, wherever you watch movies, Amazon, Redbox, it is there. Support our film, all right? We need your help. The movie's doing really well, and also give us a review. Give us five stars and say something nice. I have a fragile ego. All right, until next time, The Jason Jones Show. Nurse Erin was awesome, wasn't she? Aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh,